1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, you can subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our site, which is at creatingafamily.org slash radioshow. Today's show will be on what expectant women look for when choosing adoptive parents. I'm Dawn Davenport, the Director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for both adoption and infertility. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. If you have cancer or if you have a loved one with cancer, it doesn't have to mean a loss of your fertility. Uh, you may be eligible for no-cost medications through Fairing's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can visit their site, heartbeatprogram.com, or you can talk to your doctor today, and that would be your oncologist, is probably who you would first start with, or if you're already seeing a reproductive endocrinologist, you can get more information about the Heartbeat Program there. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletters. We let you know about the latest developments in infertility or adoption, as well as the upcoming week's blog or show topic. To get these newsletters, and we'd love to have you, please sign up for them on the creatingafamily.org website. It is on the left-hand side. We're in the process of redoing our site, and it will change. But for now, excuse me, it's on the left-hand side. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. Excuse me. The bane of every um, radio uh, host is, is the cough and not getting to the cough button in time. Uh, we also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. They provide international domestic foster and embryo donation uh, and adoption services uh, through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Programme. They have been the, one of the pioneers in that program. I should also mention that Children's Connection also has a uh, embryo uh, adoption, embryo donation program. Creating a Family, as you just heard, is a nonprofit, and we encourage you to support those who support us. Today's show is on what expected women look for when choosing adoptive parents for their child. Each expectant woman considering placing her child for adoption is looking for something special in the adoptive parent she chooses, and I suppose it's fair to say that each is looking for something different as well. However, I think there are some commonalities. How does age, marital status, health, sexual orientation affect their choice? Our guests today are Lark Cooper, the intake coordinator, or coordination coordinator, I guess it is, for Children's Mm -hmm. Connection Inc. They're an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas. We also have Danielle Goodman. She is an adoption social worker for Adoptions from the Heart. Adoptions from the Heart is an adoption agency with offices in Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Danielle is with their Delaware office. Both Lark and Danielle have extensive experience with birth mothers who are in the process of deciding on placing their child for adoption. I should add that both Children's Connection Inc. and Adoptions from the Heart have been loyal sponsors of this show, and as well as all the resources at Creating a Family. And I want to take a moment now to thank you both and so much for your support. And also, let me let me say, let me also welcome you to the show. Welcome Danielle Goodman and Lark Cooper to Creating a Family.
1: Thanks for thank having you. me. Mm-hmm.
0: It's nice to be here. All right. I realize that it's impossible to make too many generalizations because each human being is unique and each woman who is making this agonizing decision is also unique. But I'm hoping that we can address some things that you see more often than not. The two questions that I think come up most frequently on our online support group, the Facebook support group, is about the uh, adoptive parents' age and marital status. So let me start with age. Lark, how uh, adoptive parents tend to be... On the older side, quite frankly, because often they've been uh, going through infertility treatment for a while, um, and also because both treatment uh, as well as adoption is expensive, so they are, many of them have had to slow things down to raise the money. So anyway, they're, all, they're often not spring chickens, shall we say. so yeah. how when, when you speak with uh, women who are considering placing their child, how does age, how, how is age often viewed? You know, from
2: the calls that I get with the birth mothers, um, that's very seldom even mentioned uh, initially because I do the initial contact with them and the initial um, information about our program and the families that we work with. and Very seldom do they even ask about age. Um, Occasionally one will say she wants a young couple or something like that, but... um, I, from the adoptive families' uh, inquiries when they first come in, you know that is definitely one of the first things they ask: Are we too old? And from our perspective with our agency, um, that's that's not really an issue. Danielle, did you see anything different?
1: Uh, No, actually, I mean, I see pretty much the same thing as well. I mean, that definitely is um, one of those thought processes that adoptive families come in with, um, their concern. Um, What we generally see here in our agency is we, as an agency, actually do not allow families who are under 25 to start the process. Um, You know, we can make, of course, exceptions to the rule, um, but when we are working with expectant parents, um, generally speaking, that normally isn't even a realm of uh, topic. And and contrary to that, I would say that, you know, a family that may be on the older side of things, and, and I actually just met with a family the other day, and they're 31 and 32, and they were thinking they were old. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you are so young, because I would say on average for our agency, um, our adoptive parents are probably in their late 30s into their 40s. Um, Now, we have had some families who are in their 50s, um, and depending on a lot of different factors, they may perceive themselves as an older couple um, when they're showing their profile pages, their pictures to these expectant families. Um, So that could be a little bit of a negative, but I almost think that sometimes, and I've heard this numerous times from from women and men, um, that that older um, piece of things does give this child stability in their life, and that is one main thing that you know um, these men and women are looking for is a stable home environment for their child.
0: Do you find, uh, and and I'll I'll start with you, Lark. Do you find that there is an upper age? Um, not that many. We don't have too many people in their fifties who are, are considering adoption, but there are some. Um, mm-hmm. And so do you find that women, that couples, adoptive couples, over the age of 50 are at, uh, is, is there an upper age limit uh, where your odds are just relatively low that a woman might choose you?
2: I don't think, I mean, because we definitely have uh, had couples in their 50s, and I think we have some now that at least one of them, um, I think the man well, is probably true, in his 50s. that's often one of them.
0: You're right. Good point.
2: Yeah, it may just be one of them. Um, but that's... Um. Yeah, I've I've never had a birth mother say she didn't want someone older. So, um, it's very. I think it's common, and for the reasons Danielle said that you know, and and you said earlier that they've been spending time doing other things, or some a lot of them even if they've raised a family already, and uh, but don't feel they're through child rearing. So they're looking at kind of starting mm-hmm. over almost. So, it's um, all
0: right. Well, let's move to marital status then, Danielle. Mm-hmm. Um, We have both singles, uh, men and women, more women than men, Uh, so let's start with single women. Uh, Is a single woman uh, at a disadvantage when applying to adopt because birth mothers may be less likely to choose?
1: I think that that's also one of those myths, and like you said, in the beginning um, stages of you talking about what this um, program was going to be about, everybody is definitely different in every situation. And in the seven years I've been doing this, I've never had the exact same case. Um, I always like to preface it when I have a single individual coming um, to apply that, yes, does the fact that they are single, could that mean that their weight um for being matched might be a little longer than that of a of a heterosexual married couple sure um but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will always be a, next, a you know a longer wait we've had single women um getting selected super quick within um a couple weeks a lot of it just depends on all the circumstances involved
0: interesting okay um lark do you see anything different no that's Pretty much it. I'm, I tell
2: the people that call a lot that, you know, there's no factor that automatically eliminates you from being chosen because the birth mothers, what they're looking for is as varied as what the adoptive family is looking for. So being single, I agree, sometimes might make a little longer because there are some, you know, that, that maybe they didn't have a um, a typical family situation. They were raised single and they want their child to have a mom and a dad, so mm-hmm. it it could delay it a little bit. But then, yeah, like Danielle said,
0: we've had them where they were chosen the first time they were shown. So, it, what about single men, um, Lark? Do you see anything different with single guys who are trying to adopt?
2: You know, I think uh, since I've been here at Children's Connection, I've only even had one single man call and inquire about adoption. So, I I think. It probably would because the stereotype that most that m- women are the nurturers, even though we know that's not always the case, <laughs> uh, even in a male-female family, sometimes the man is the nurturer. But mm-hmm. um, we we have not dealt with a lot of single men, so I don't know per se. I really don't have a good perspective on that. But,
1: but I have a, a feeling enough there enough.
2: are women out there that that would be okay with.
1: Yeah, and and this is Danielle again and I think um overall we don't have a huge number of single males applying to adopt. Um I want to say we've probably I've probably seen four or five. Um and again, I I think partially it kind of depends on the circumstances of each case presented and um how open um, the the single man or the single female is going to be with certain circumstances um, with respect to being matched with an expected parent. Um, we have had, um, I remember seeing this um, very handsome single man get put in the books. And I was like, well, look, he's a single man because you don't see that very often. Um, and he was literally picked and placed within a month of him going in our process. So it really does vary. But I do think um, there always is that um, thought process that I think the initial reaction for um, these men and women when they're coming to us is, in their head they think okay I really want a married couple um, mm-hmm. so it always can diminish maybe some of um, you know the non-traditional families um, you know time frame but again I've had we had a woman who was raised by a single parent and she came in knowing that she wanted a single parent to raise her child so you just okay. really don't always know a hundred percent
0: what about sexual orientation because some, but certainly not all, the uh, single men who would apply. But some might be gay. Um, well, I guess the same could be said for uh, single women as well. Um, but I, I think we've seen a shift in, as I think the, our whole society has seen a significant shift uh, in acceptance of same-sex cou- same-sex couples. How does that play out uh, now, uh, as far as? adoption. Danielle, when, a uh, let's say, a lesbian couple or a gay couple come in, uh, do they need to expect a, a longer wait, just generally, uh, accepting that you never know what somebody is going to choose? But if we took an average, do they wait longer than uh, 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 heterosexual married couples?
1: I would actually love to see the stats on that but I I Me would too. say that based on <laughs> based on our numbers and what we see with respect to families that we have coming into our process I actually don't really see a longer wait period for same sex either female or male couples waiting in our process um, with our agency. Because I do think you are right. Society has come around quite a bit where it is not um, such a huge negative to place your child in whatever loving, caring home, you know, that that fits well and meshes well with that expected parent's lifestyle. So, I mean, I think that if they find um, the – the best home that fits what they kind of were looking for. And a perfect example, I had a birth parent um, who she was raised um, by a lesbian woman um, and her partner, and that was really what she wanted. She wanted a same-sex couple. She just fell in love um, with these two um, same-sex male couples and when I took the profile pages, um, in addition, we also had a couple singles in there and some married couples that she also had liked um, to the birth father. And there was, in my head, because in her head she thought there's no way he's going to be okay, when he looked through all of the families, he said, you know, truthfully the only two families I feel connected to um, are these two which happened to have been the same sex male couples that she really really loved to begin with and he said it was because they talked about how important education was so you know it was that value that he was truly looking for for his child that superseded whatever their sexual orientation was
0: mhm you know uh, the well let me let me stop a second Lark, you're from a different part of the country. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so do you see a a distinction with the acceptance uh, coming from the, uh, well, Texas and the Southwest? Yeah.
2: We definitely have couples that we work with that are same-sex. And I think most of the birth mothers that we deal with, in the South it still may be a little bit not the norm, um, lower than the norm, but we but I, we still have some that are that definitely verbalize that the same sex is okay, or even that we have had them that actually you know preferred that for kind of like what you said, Danielle. They were either raised, or one had a family member uh, that mm-hmm. was, and so that's what she was looking for. Um, I think it's more like you said. Also, the the other factors would be what would eliminate or draw someone to them more than their sexual orientation in in this day and time but most of them that we deal with here in Texas are still looking for um the typical mom female dad uh, male but there are definitely more and more that are open to that um every day so it's I think it's it's changing and it will continue that way
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think you I think the changes are definitely in the process and are happening. You know, I have mm-hmm. a. Uh, I've spoke with a uh, a woman once who had placed her child with a gay couple, and she said it was interesting. And I wonder how. Uh, and I hadn't thought of it exactly this way before. And I wonder if this is a thought process that is is either mm-hmm. typical or, or or is going to become more typical. Her her thought was this. She said, I, I chose a gay couple because this way I still will remain the only mom in this child's life. She said, so I will, she didn't, want, she didn't want a parenting role. There was an open adoption, but she was not confused as to, and had not assumed, the kid was not, I don't remember how old the child was, but it wasn't an infant. She had not assumed it, but she said, they were very open to me having, to, to at least the title of, you know, to including mother in the title, um and danielle you've had it sounds like more experience with same sex couples uh, or with uh, uh, birth moms choosing same sex couples so ha- have you seen that is this just was this a fluke of of one woman or do you see have you heard that before <laughs>
1: uh no actually I've heard that um on many different occasions um and I okay, think I- that I- that I- sometimes is the um the thought process behind specifically picking a same-sex male couple, that they then, because there is going to be no mom, that they get the mom title. Um, so for us as an agency, we do always have that. Um, there's a whole counseling process that we go through um, to kind of counsel the the expected mom on, you know, it, mom still is a very specific title, um, and it and, you know you're going to have a very title you know you're going to have a very specific title, and it may be something that you and the family work on and choose as you go through this process, but it may be Miss Dawn or it may be Birth Mom Dawn or Belly Mama. You know, I mean, there's lots of different titles out there, Um, but unless the family's okay with that mom title, normally we try to shy away from that. And most of the time the expected women do understand that, but I do think that sometimes in their head that is normally kind of why they feel like, oh, well, if I place my child with two men, then I can still be the mom. Well, or if not even the mom, but in their head, there's, th-
0: that perhaps, they're, they're, this woman did not expect to be the mother, but she expected to have that title, uh, had, yeah, or the role, uh, I think it was more the the, the emotional feeling. I, yeah, uh, that's interesting, right. <laughs> and I, I think that we're probably not, uh, I think that you're right, I think that that does play in. Um, more mm-hmm. often, even if it is unspoken. But I'm glad when it is spoken because then that allows you, as the uh, social worker and counselor, to be able to help give them information which they they need before they make this choice. Correct. You are listening to Creating a Family today. We're talking about what expectant woman women consider when choosing fa- adoptive parents for a child she's placing for adoption. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect with me at creatingafamily, all one word, on Facebook, there are three ways to connect. One, please like our Facebook page, which is you can get to it at facebook.com slash creating a family. You can also join our online support group. It is a closed group. However, we are not closed in any way other than the fact that you need to ask permission to join. We are a very open and accepting group once you are a part of us. So to find that group, you would type in the words creating a family in the Facebook search box. Uh, and the group will should pop up. It's probably the first one. It's a rather large group, so it pops up quickly. You can also connect with me personally at dawn.davenport1. And uh, we also, I should mention, have a very active Pinterest account uh, with Creating a Family, pinterestcom slash creatingafamily. I uh, have lots and lots of uh, adoption boards and infertility boards, and I've just thoroughly enjoyed Pinterest. So please, you might want to join us there as well. All right, we have a question that she's asked for her name not to be used. Uh, she has been on antidepressants for many years and would like to continue to remain on antidepressants. Uh, she has uh, been diagnosed with uh, chemical depression, as well as situational depression. Uh, So she anticipates that uh, depression is something that she will be continuing to deal with. Her question is, uh, how much of a negative uh, is either the uh, taking of antidepressants or the diagnosis of depression going to be in her? uh, she and her husband, she's a married woman, um, uh, being selected by a birth mom? Oh, I'm sorry, I should direct this question. I apologize, Mark. (laughs) I'm sitting here looking at her, reading her her email, trying to make sure I had gotten everything in. Uh, Mark, let me direct that to you.
1: Yes.
2: Um, I don't think, um, based on the the matches and the people that we work with, um, that it's going to have that much effect. For one thing, with our organization, um, the initial match is done based on their profile book and what they have in there. And, yes, we certainly have, and in, I think encourage them to share about what they deal with um, in their books for the birth mothers to see. But most of the time that's not, uh, I and mean, we, we've had some that we've um, uh, shown uh, profile books to our mothers that, that was uh, there were things in there, and it did not seem to be really, uh, anything that affected the decision um what they were looking for um because they're they're looking more for the positive i think usually than the negative things that's what stands out to them more um and that they have you know their lives are under control because they've been through a lot to get to the point for adopting all the background checks and home studies and the things they've been through um once we let them know that these people have what they've gone through to get to this point, they're pretty secure in that if we're showing them this family that they're going to be um, able to take care of the child.
0: All right. That's curious. I had not thought about putting um, the fact that you take antidepressants uh, or have been diagnosed with depression in your profile book. Danielle, do you encourage uh, adoptive families to include that in the profile book? I mean, obviously it's information that should be provided to the um expectant couple um but i guess the question is where do you put it in uh, where 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 is it made uh, available where is the information made available what do you and, and and how big of a deal is it in your experience
1: um i mean i I would have always, I always recommend that, you know, part of the home study process is a medical um, report given to us by their doctor, Um, and one of the questions on the medical report is how long the doctor has been working with that family member, and does that doctor feel that this person is capable of parenting an adoptive child, Um, and that would kind of really be the significance on whether or not we would feel like we could approve that. Family. So if the doctor is saying, you know, yes, this person does have depression, it's well managed on medication, um, we wouldn't have any issue whatsoever feeling like this person could um, be provide a good home for a family. Um we basically just put it out there to the families that they should be open and honest about themselves. They don't want to lie about anything on their profile pages. Um but that also doesn't necessarily mean that they have to um spell out their entire medical history on their profile page and that's not something we would necessarily always recommend. Um so
0: but now you would yeah. the, the expectant woman would be have would be privy to this information. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, not necessarily. I mean, if we have done our home study, which the home study does not get given to the expected parents either, um, you know, there there has always been that question about, you know, other medical conditions. Um, right. What I can say is the ones that normally come out through the profile page is um, some more significant infertility issues sometimes get divulged on a profile page or if a person is in recovery from cancer, um, you know, that, those things sometimes I've seen on profile pages, but if it is high blood pressure and they're medicated or it's depression and they're medicated, normally that's not something that always will be divulged unless it's in everyday conversation with the expected family and the adoptive family. Okay. Yeah, I I want just to
2: clarify, too, that it's not sure. something we would encourage in the put, but I've, we've had people that have... Put that in there before, and probably more significant things. Yeah, like the cancer is what, but um, we leave that up to them. Um, but the same as um, Danielle said, if it's from their medical uh, doctor, it'd be the same uh, type situation as long as they're approved uh, based on you know the medical information. It's not necessarily going to be in there or divulged, but uh,
0: but there are some that have put things like that in their books. Because they feel like it may make them. Uh, it's who it's it's a part of who they are, and they want to mm-hmm. that part mm-hmm. to be shown. Uh, Lark, what do you? Speaking of cancer, we do have a question from someone who is two and a half years post breast cancer treatment, uh, and she is wondering whether or not it now is that she would like to apply, um, but she is wondering if she needs to be five years post cancer uh, in order to be realistically selected
2: i think that kind of follows along with what we just said as long as the you know she's we have the medical doctors their information and um their recommendation that they're going to be um, capable of doing this um or have a plan on what to how to handle this if it did reoccur um, it's kind of going to be based on that same thing again. I don't know that there's a definite, we would say, you know, you need to wait five years. It'd be, you know, more based on
0: um, the medical
2: recommendation
0: again. Danielle, do you see that that uh, uh, expectant women, women, I'm sorry, um, or couples I should probably say, um, are focusing on uh, health information or asking questions about health information um, such as, Uh, well, mental health as well, but I was specifically thinking of cancer or or significant uh, potential health issues that the adoptive parents may have faced. Are expectant women
1: asking about that? I think that they definitely are interested um, in a healthy lifestyle, because ultimately, as a parent, that's what we are doing: is we are providing this healthy lifestyle for our children. And so, as this expectant man or woman is looking at families, they they sometimes are, you know, looking out for the best interest of their child, of course. Um, and they they do want, you know, what we hear sometimes is they do want somebody who who is an active family who is taking care of themselves, um, because that. That is something that, again, is going to show that stability and that long-term um, piece of things that, you know, they're not going to have necessarily a family member who maybe passes away. So that is something that, you know, um, could be a level of concern. Um, but, again, we have all different types of families that come into the process, and for some um, expectant individuals, that it's not necessarily as deep of a concern. Um, on the cancer, I actually did have a... Um, expectant mother and her mother, so the expectant mother's, um, you know, the grandparent, um, Mm -hmm. they had looked at profiles together, and um, the expectant mother's mother actually had cancer, I want to say it was breast cancer, and she um, was many years cancer-free, and one of the main reasons why they selected the family that they did was because the adoptive mother actually um, had went through cancer as well and had been, I forget how many years, cancer-free, but that was one of those on-a-different-level connections for everybody, Mm -hmm. um, that was really very important. So sometimes being honest and forthcoming with what medically is going on is not necessarily a bad thing because they may have this family member um, that, again, puts that connection in there for the two families to to build their relationship from.
0: How often are, you mentioned expectant fathers, how often are expected grandparents, so I'm going to ask about both, how often (laughs) are expectant fathers involved in the selection. Uh, Go ahead. I'm going to address this one to you, Danielle.
1: Sure. Um, You know, it's definitely, I've seen a turn over the years that I've been doing this. Um, I want to say that when um, I first started in the adoption field, um, we didn't even really, um, you know, there was a lot of unknown father situations or not willing to participate um, it has definitely turned around quite extensively where um, there are very many expensive fathers that want um, a part of the process. They want openness. They want um, to be able to meet a family. They want to be able to have a party to um, actually looking at the profiles and having a say in where their child does go. Um, so, I do think that it is part of the process um you know now again, we still have those situations where you know the expectant father isn't known or isn't um available or willing um maybe still is willing to participate in the paperwork part of the process but doesn't really want to have any any thought process on um the selection of the actual family. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of does vary, but we have definitely seen an increase in, in fathers wanting to have some kind of say.
0: At Lark, have you seen the same uh, where there's been an increase? And if so, can you kind of roughly say what percent <laughs> of the families that come in um, uh, considering adoption are ha- a couple or just a woman? Uh uh-huh. I was just sitting here thinking what percent <laughs> would I say
2: um and I'm not I was trying to think definitely um it's probably a third um of the ones I've dealt with um in the last year that um the birth father's there he's involved um to and if he is involved he's part of the selecting the family um, occasionally, if he may be there, um, but he's like she said, uh, just to do the paperwork, just to sign right. that he's yeah. you know for the adoption, and um, and go from there. But if if they are involved, and probably a third, I think maybe is a close percentage of how many the birth yeah. father is there mm-hmm. from the beginning and involved. Um, it might be a quarter. But it's it's somewhere around there, and if if they are, then they're you know looking for that family too, and put their mm-hmm. have their input in there.
1: I would say that's probably about an accurate guesstimation of the stat.
0: Yeah, that and it is a, a it's a guesstimation. It's a guesstimation. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's totally <laughs> fair. Lark, how often is the expectant grandmother um, a part of the uh, the uh, the expectant woman's mother, which would mm-hmm. make her the expectant grandmother? How often uh, do you see the expectant grandmother involved with the selection process? Not much.
2: Um, I'd say maybe if a tenth at the most, uh, one out of every ten, maybe she might be involved. um, Because, you know, that's just, I think, so hard for (laughs) think about giving mm-hmm. up a grandbaby um, if if it's happening they're usually not in favor of it um, the majority of the time so I, I'm trying to even think in the last couple of months how many I might have had one um, we've had a couple of aunts involved even um, close figure probably that have more yeah. of a mother figure for the birth mother but not quite as close so it's a little easy for, easier for them I think to help them but Even in the selection, I don't know that any of them were even involved in the selection of the family.
0: Is that partly because because, uh, women who are considering adoption, I think, for their child uh, are often in their, it's not so much teens anymore, but more uh, women in their 20s and even older sometimes. Mm -hmm. Is that why Mm -hmm. you think there's less involvement for the grandparent?
2: Yes, I think so definitely because most of the birth mothers that have called, um, or that call are calling now, they're in their late twenties. I've even had one in her late thirties recently um, that has called. So, and usually they're estranged from their family or do not have a good relationship. So, very few of them. are young now i i I will say the one I remember now that the mother was involved with the selection she was you know very young, still in high school mm-hmm. uh so still living at home so in those cases, right. I would imagine much definitely more of the time the the family's the mother's going to be involved in that selection, but most of the and,
0: birth mothers these days are older, and Danielle is that the same with uh with uh,
1: yeah, I do find that, um, and not necessarily even that the g- grandparents necessarily are involved in making the selection. but sometimes even for those men and women who are in their 20s, late 20s, they still kind of almost are looking for some additional support and want to – Say they've narrowed the families down to four, they kind of want a little bit of input from somebody else that they love and care about, which may be their parents. So um, that's kind of what we see. Not necessarily that, you know, they have had a help in actually saying, oh, yes, you should go with this family specifically, but just that maybe their families may have had somewhat of an involvement Um but I do think that the handful, as I'm thinking, as everybody is talking, that the few that I have had that have had a more um, active role in sitting down with the expectant mother, um, those women were on the younger, younger side of things. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were both actually in high school still, um, mm-hmm. both of those women. So, and that probably is why you know, their mothers took a little bit more of an active role. That's probably okay. true yeah I
0: think and that's that is what we see as well that um, mm-hmm. at, at that point, the mothers are still parenting these the girls who are making decisions, so as as a role of a parent, they're trying to help their daughter um right. make probably the most important decision of her life, but they're mm-hmm. still actively in the parenting role. Yes, I'd like to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that you're listening to creating a family. It is through the generous support of our sponsors that we can bring you this show, as well as all the resources that we provide at Creating a Family. We have All Blessings International. They're an adoption agency with offices in Missouri and Kentucky, and they work with families throughout the U.S. placing children from Congo, Haiti, Hong Kong, Latvia, Taiwan, and El Salvador. They also have a domestic infant program. And we have independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement And counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work in families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, and more. You can that's uh, and we and last but certainly not least, we have adoptions from the heart. They provide U.S. infant adoptions, home study services for all types of adoptions, and free services to pregnant women. They have almost 30 years' experience and one of the largest-placing domestic agencies on the East Coast with offices in Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. All right. When you are um, uh, working with uh, families that currently have children, they're parenting children, um, do you see that expectant women are, uh, generally speaking, and, again, we can only just kind of say generally, your child to uh, be the first child in the family, or uh, are are they looking for uh, a family that already has children? Lark, what do you see? Well, again, to me, it's
2: as varied as as we are individual. Um, I don't have that many that actually say they want someone with, That's infertile. That does definitely happen. Um, They do probably specify a lot of times um, that they want this to be the first child or an only child for a while at least um, because they want them to have what they don't have or they didn't have. Uh, But we have... Multiple families that have kids, and we do not have trouble matching them, so, because sometimes they, you know, they may have been a single person, um, single child, and they want their kids to have a family uh, mm-hmm. or a large family. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had families in the last six months matched that had five and six kids. <laughs> uh, one that was matched with she has six kids. She was pregnant. Found out she was pregnant, and matched. Um, we matched her. That family. So, wow. Um, there, there <laughs> is just no way to say oh, no. That's too many kids. You won't be matched because, right? You know, they could provide for that many, and and they had a very multicultural family, so yeah. it was very attractive to this particular birth mother, and right. um, that baby's um,
0: been born and placed. <laughs> wow. Okay, and Danielle. Can you top that one? I kind of hear. You had a pregnant woman with six existing. So in other words, a family. That is
1: pretty, that is pretty impressive. I actually it have had a family amazing. that um, uh, they replaced um, their ninth child with them. Um, they went on to all of their children were adopted up to that point. Then they went on to actually naturally conceive. They... Um, you know, and so then they came back for number eleven that was going to be oh. another adopt, and then she found out she was pregnant again, so yeah, and for that many kids in the family, there is definitely somewhat of a negative, but if they have one or two children, whether it be their biological children or they've are this is going to be a subsequent adoption for the family, I don't necessarily think that the expectant family has a negative persona about that. I think that there still is that piece that people come into the process going, I want to bless a family. um, So they have that, you know, knowing that my child will be the first child for this family feels really good to an expectant mother. Um, But, again, it's not the end-all, be-all. If they are shown 20 families and half of them have children and half of them don't, if they connect with something else, with a family that has a child, that family is going to win out over a family that doesn't have children. So I, I, we kind of see it both ways. We definitely see birth, birth parents or expected parents coming in saying, yes, I would like my child to be the first child or the only child, um, which we can never guarantee because we can't guarantee that that, that family is going to not, you know, have a no. child biologically in the future, or, or go through the adoption process again. But then you also see on the same end that they do come in and they had siblings and they want their child to grow up with siblings. So mm-hmm. you have plenty of people saying, "Yeah, I want, I want my child to be, you know, growing up with an older brother and older sister, and, and that's the family that I like and I connect to." So I'd say it's about fifty-fifty. Interesting. I agree. You know. It,
0: one of the questions uh, that you raise is, do you see a preference for if the other child in the family has also been adopted, versus a? Or is there a concern that they will favor their biological child if they have a biological child? Uh, therefore, I, if if there's going to be another sibling, I would prefer that that sibling be adopted. Or Danielle, am I overthinking this more so than most uh, expectant women <laughs> are thinking it through?
1: Yeah, I don't really. I mean, occasionally you get that question. Um, I think they are looking at it, you know, as if um, the only stipulation that I see is that they like the fact sometimes that a child might be placed with them that's already adopted just so that they understand the adoption process, not because they feel like their child's going to be loved less or more than another child in the house. Um so we don't I don't really get a lot of that feedback from the expected men- men and women um at all,
0: okay, that's interesting um
1: and this I, the next question go ahead Laura, can did you I add to that wrong? yeah,
2: I just like to say I think what uh, really even on that aspect, I agree uh what Danielle said, what affects it more to me I've noticed um is that um if if it's a biracial family. Or if it's a Caucasian family and the child's a different race, then that's definitely more appealing and more encouraging to the birth mother, especially if she's um, a different race than the adoptive family. If they all have a different um, racial mixture, then that's definitely more appealing. than if if they had their own like if it was a Caucasian family and they had a Caucasian baby, and this was but they were open to any race or ethnicity, um, that helps the birth mother i think feel a lot more at ease about choosing them
0: So mm-hmm. let me make sure i'm understanding you if the adoptive family has a biracial child or a or a an African American child or a Hispanic child. Mm-hmm and the, the the expectant woman is carrying a biracial African American or Hispanic child she is more likely to choose a family who is already parenting a child of the same race as her uh, as her child because then she would feel like her child is not the only uh child of color in that family. Am I right. summarizing you correctly? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that raises the the next question <laughs> which is how important is race uh In selecting, assuming that the – and it could go either way. I think it more often goes that adoptive parents. If we look at the the, the U.S. population of adoptive parents, I think more often they are white, but it could go either way. But let's say that the birth mom uh, or the expectant woman is African-American, and she is looking at families, both black families as well as white families – how often do you think race factors in? We certainly live in a racial society, and, and I think that you you guys may have a separate because you're you're in two different parts of the United States. So let's start with you, Lark, on uh, and you're uh, primarily working with birth moms in Texas. How often yes. does, is race a factor for them when choosing, assuming they have a choice between a same race family uh, versus a, 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 a adopted parents that are a different race than the child she's carrying? Mm-hmm
2: uh initially, when I talk to them, um, the birth mother's initial conversation, and I ask her, you know, what's she looking for, um, occasionally there will be one that will say she would like, if she's African American, she'd say, I'd like African American or biracial, but that, but that's not, usually that's not the breaking point. Um, and and it 's like we 've said on other things, once they 're presented with families and they look at them usually there 's something that they that draws them to that family uh, and i don 't think it 's always race um, I think very seldom it 's probably race I think it 's something else about them that um, that draws them and helps them choose um, if they had the choice you know i don 't think they would basic oh that's they're that 's an African American couple so i 'm going with them because there's too many other factors um, that are there and presented to them um, through those profile pages or books um, that I think very seldom is their actual decision based on the race.
0: Uh, Danielle, what's your experience in that area?
1: Um, so I have a couple different thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Good. I you know, we you know, we look at it primarily in our agency and in this area. There definitely is a higher population of Caucasian couples wanting to adopt. So diversity in our process is kind of limited. Um, and for that reason, what we kind of see is that the interracial couples or a full African-American couple or single are definitely hot commodities. Um, and by that, I think that... Um, Ultimately, these men and women who are choosing to make an adoption plan for their child are going to make the adoption plan. But if they have ten families to look at, and nine of them are full Caucasian, whether they have um, a already have had a transracial adoption, so they are parenting children that maybe um, are biracial or African American, and then they have a um, the tenth family is a full African American couple, uh, almost. I would say probably ninety six percent of the time that full African American couple is going to get selected um and it's and I don't know, and I don't really have any rhyme or reason behind it other than the fact that you know um you know there is that fear associated with can a Caucasian family still raise my child um with you know uh, involving the culture and understanding everything. Um, but ultimately these men and women are going to make the choice. If adoption is what they want to do, they are willing and understand that, you know, any of these families are comfortable with their specific situation, you know, knowing that the child could be a different race than them. Um, so they will make the choice regardless, but, I, but we do find that if there is a um, – interracial couple biracial couple um full african-american couple in the process most most times that will be the family that will get selected and they will have a shorter wait as a result most likely absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah that's generally what we see now again that also does come to the point of how how comfortable they are with background situations you know so Mm -hmm. um some of the Some of the full African-American families, what we also see is that they're not nearly as open um, with different background scenarios of the men and women who are wanting to make these plans. Um, And for that reason, they may wait a little bit longer. But if they get shown, nine times out of ten, if they get shown, they're getting selected. Okay. And that's just for us what we're seeing. Mm -hmm.
0: So. How many? Well, let me ask. The, the last kind of general question has to do with religion, and we see that a lot. That question comes up not infrequently. Usually, it comes up from people who do not have a strong religious affiliation, or who mm-hmm. um, who identify as agnostic or atheist, and they feel that they have a uh, that they are at a disadvantage. Um, and we don't. I haven't particularly received the question the other way around. Uh, a family that identifies as Christian or Jewish and feeling that they have fewer options, but uh, it, but it probably is worth asking both ways. So, Danielle, what do you see as far as families? How important religion is, either the presence of religion or the absence? Uh, uh, how 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 that would play out in a birth mom's choice of a family?
1: I think if if the expectant parents want. Um, or have any desire with respect to religion, they're telling you that almost immediately. Um, so we're matching. You know, they they maybe don't specifically require that the family is, is Methodist, but they want the family to be practicing Christians. Um, but I would say more often than not, religion doesn't necessarily play a huge party um, when they are selecting. Um, you have those handful of um, men and women who come in who who absolutely come in and are like, I, I'm Catholic, I was raised Catholic, I want my child to, you know, um, be raised Catholic and, and go through the whole process. So, you know, that's really important to me. But nine times out of ten, otherwise, it doesn't necessarily matter if, you know, the family um, has a belief system, is spiritual, is agnostic. Um, they, there really isn't necessarily any kind of... Um, preference associated with that um what we see at least when we're working with these um expectant families
0: Mark what do you see in Texas which is a more religious uh part of the yeah. country Um
2: I really that the same trend uh there's very few um that religion has plays a major part in it I do get uh maybe a quarter um, of the birth mothers that call, saying they want a Christian family, or designating, and most of it, if if they designate, it's a Christian family. I I can't think of any recently that have asked, you know, for a specific uh, denomination or religion. Uh, most of them, it's it's Christian, um, but most of them, that doesn't seem to be really even an option, or that they're looking at and and thinking about at that time. Most of them okay. just say they want a good family. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, so, and in Texas that may mean what? Christian. <laughs> yes,
0: <Yeah. laughs> or at least mm-hmm. in their minds, yes.
2: Yes, Lark, yeah, how many mind. profiles
0: yeah. do women do most uh, expectant women go through um, before they actually select in your experience?
2: Our agency, we try, we match. We'll work with them pretty much. at I hate to say, you know, any point they're at because that's not always the truth. Um, I mean, not always. the. It just depends on their situation. But we try to match them up as soon as they come into our program. If they call and hopefully they're, in you know, past their first trimester and whatever their circumstances, we try to match them up um, within days. Um, so... Um, I'm sorry, my brain went dead. What was the question
0: again? <laughs> the question was how many profiles in the general. I have had oh, yeah. that. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, and trust me, you were in such I chased such a rabbit company. or
2: something and lost it. Um, so how many it profiles as how, generally
0: do they look yeah. at before selecting?
2: So it just depends on how many families we have that meet their criteria that of their circumstances. It can be from, I mean, we have sent one profile book. Um, and if they don't like that, then we might do a search, nationwide search. Or if their circumstances are um, outside of what we have, families that we can provide, then we'll do a search. But probably on average, um, they see um, three to five books and choose from that.
0: And is that the same, uh, in, uh, in your experience and in your practice, Danielle, mm-hmm. how many profiles is helpful for an expected woman to look through before selecting?
1: Uh, well, as an agency, we act, our policy is to show every family that matches the birth parent situation. So, I mean, that could mean they are looking at 50 or 60 profiles. Um, normally, that doesn't necessarily mean that it takes them that long. I have had many occasions where, say, they have 25 profiles to look at and they immediately fall in love with number five. You know, and they don't even necessarily need to look at the rest of them because they just so feel connected to this one family. Um, we, as an agency, though, do things a little bit differently. Not a lot of agencies do this when um, a, fa- a an expected family has narrowed down the selection. Maybe they can't make that full-on choice and they have four families that they are really considering, we do um, a YouTube video for all of our families, which is like a three- to four-minute video. It gives the expected family a little bit additional for them to try to get to know this family a little bit more. They can, you know, see their mannerisms, hear their voice, see how they interact, um, and that really is a benefit to some of these men and women who are um, making the biggest choice of their life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is certainly the biggest choice, (laughs) <laughs> that they will ever make. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. All right.
0: So, uh, Danielle, I think it would be helpful. I, we certainly get the question frequently of, why are, uh, why am I still waiting? I, you know, I, I, other families are being placed. I haven't mm-hmm. been placed. What mm-hmm. is it that's keeping me from from getting picked? So, what do you tell uh, from if you could generalize as to what are the things that interfere? with an adoptive family getting chosen? And I realize that's a very broad question, so you can answer it in in kind of broad terms or or include a lot of things in
1: there. It is kind of a broad term, but I would say that the the main reason why families wait is, even though statistically for our agency, 50% of our placements that happen and the matches that happen, the expected parents have no drugs, no alcohol, no mental health. So that's 50% of our cases. Um, The other 50% may have little stuff, but for families who are waiting in the process, if they are looking for that, quote, unquote, perfect, healthy child, there is no such thing. I tell families that all the time. If you're having a child biologically, there's always something that is in your medical history, your genetics that could have been passed along. You know, these men and women are living their lives. They are uh, in seven years, I've had one birth family that actually it was a planned pregnancy and then they got themselves into some legal trouble. Um, but otherwise, these men and women aren't aren't planning on getting pregnant. So they're living their lives. They're having a good time. They're, the biggest thing I think that people need to look at and consider is opening themselves up to other backgrounds. You know, can they open themselves up to different racial backgrounds? Are they, Can they open themselves up to different drug, alcohol, mental health, circumstances of pregnancy, or any of those negotiable for them? Um, can they open up to a little bit more openness? Can they have one more visit a year? Can they send a few more sets of pictures? Um, you know, and then that last thing is, you know, talk to your social worker that you're working with. Is there any things that you can do on your profile pages that maybe you can market your family a little bit better where, you know, um, you may be, you know, standing out a little bit more when you are shown, you know, to these expected men and women?
0: All right. Lark, can you share any uh, expertise as to why some people find that they're waiting uh, and others are getting chosen? It, it, pretty much exactly what she said uh the <laughs>
2: openness um you know because it, the same thing that some of them are looking when they first start they're looking for that perfect baby and it doesn't exist and mm-hmm. um the more open they are to everything then the more they get shown and we're like y'all if if they meet the criteria of the birth mother we're going to show them so the more open they are the more they get shown so the odds are in their favor um and that that's the main thing in the because i think some of them don't realize that pro Especially with our organization, that profile book is what the birth mother sees. That's what or the birth family. Um, that's what they're making that decision on. So we have occasionally people that want to skimp and do, you know, just some little piece of paper, or <laughs> a couple of pages, and we're like, no, this this is your life and your child, and you need to, you know, put some a lot of effort and thought into it. And uh, um, but the openness is definitely the main thing that.
0: And if we were uh, – we've mentioned that, uh, that when we speak of openness, the primary things are interuteral exposures, drugs and alcohol, mental yeah. health issues in the uh, birth family, uh, race, uh, open the, the degree of openness uh, on the adoption itself – Anything else that, uh, other than the ones I just mentioned, whether it was four things that I just mentioned, anything other than those four things, or or that I'm leaving out that people need to consider being Um, open to, go ahead.
1: If they are, this is Danielle. If they are willing to assist um, partially um, with some pregnancy-related assistance or some medical assistance, that's a big thing sometimes, depending on the state, of course. Um, You know, the other thing is circumstances. Like if the child is a product of acquaintance rape or stranger rape, you know, that's something that we see periodically as well, too, that kind of hinders families if they're not open to that situation. We also um, do have boxes that we allow families to check off whether or not they're comfortable with um, different kind of criminal background histories on the expected parent side of things. So, um, you know, doing a little bit of, uh, you know, research and, and seeing whether or not they're comfortable with that aspect of things, too, with people having criminal histories is important. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree, but I, those are all the same. Well, I should <laughs> add that Creating a Family has a lot of resources to help uh, families uh, analyze these risk factors. We've done a number of shows with leading experts, asking them questions about drugs and alcohol we've also done some wonderful shows on nature versus nurture what how mm-hmm. much of what we are criminal and otherwise is hereditary and how much of it is our environment so things that are uh... helpful for and then of course i should pack up and say lots of shows sure. on uh, becoming a transracial family so uh... for our listeners and as well as for both of you encourage your families to utilize these resources uh, the last thing we want to do is for somebody to accept the referral or accept a match that they do not feel capable of parenting but on the other hand it doesn't hurt to get educated before you decide whether you are or not up uh, are or are not up to parenting a child who has had uh, exposure or whose uh, um great uh, grandfather has uh, had had with bipolar or whatever the situation would be mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Danielle Goodman and Lark Cooper, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate uh, for our audience in a discussion uh, on the topic of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org. blog And to get more information on both, uh, say, Lark as well as Children's Connection, Inc., you can go to their website, which is childrensconnections.org org. That's an S on the end of Children and Connection. so childrensconnection.org. To get more information on Danielle Goodman, as well as Adoptions from the Heart, you can go to their website, which is AFTH, standing for Adoptions from the Heart. So AFTH.org. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you.